I can't believe I ate that whole thing. I'll never call it a sandwich, it's a hamburger. You still want to show me your cucumber? By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then, hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today I'm going to tackle one of the most controversial subjects we've ever talked about. It came up during last week's stream, and it's been on my mind since. The controversy, what is a sandwich? Alright, so maybe it's not that controversial. But boy, it sure did generate some chatter, didn't it? If you didn't watch the stream this week, we got into a very long discussion about what a sandwich is. And I've seen this on the internet for years. People have talked about it for years long before the internet. This isn't a new discussion, but people always like to pick this as a topic to talk about. What's a sandwich? What constitutes a sandwich? And it always starts with this. Is a hot dog a sandwich? And if it's not the hot dog, it's the hamburger. Is a hamburger a sandwich? So I'm going to talk about sandwiches today, and I'm also going to give you a recipe today. Now, it's not a sandwich recipe. I mean, I'm going to talk a little about sandwich recipes as we go along. But I mean, a sandwich, you don't really need a recipe for it. I mean, you need ingredients. But you take a piece of bread, you put your ingredients on it, put another piece of bread on top, boom, sandwich. There's not a lot of heavy lifting in making a sandwich. So what I've got for you after we finish our sandwich discussion is I've got a recipe for you for dinner. Because sandwiches are generally lunchtime, although I'll need a sandwich anytime. But I've got a dinner recipe for you as well. I'm going to tell you a way to make a very simple but very tasty baked ziti. If you go to an Italian restaurant, if you go to a diner sometimes, you can see baked ziti on the menu. Oh yeah, baked ziti. I should get that. I never make that for myself. Well, now you can. It's like super easy. People overthink baked ziti. So after we talk about sandwiches, I'm going to talk about baked ziti. I know, it's kind of a mixed episode, but it's food. And who doesn't like to talk about food? I like to talk about food almost as much as I love eating food. So, first, the sandwiches. I've talked about sandwiches in the past. In fact, in last week's episode, I included the story about liverwurst sandwiches. Yes, I grew up with liverwurst sandwiches. And that's an example of basically putting anything between two slices of bread and calling it a sandwich. When I was growing up, that was a sandwich. Anything between two slices of bread. Any kind of lunch meat, any kind of cheese, peanut butter and jelly, that fluff spread between two pieces of bread, that could be a fluff sandwich. By the way, if you don't know what fluff is, when I was growing up, fluff was basically a jar of soft marshmallow. You can still find it, but there were commercials all over the place when I was a kid, always on the kids' shows, of course, for the fluffernutter. The fluffernutter was a layer of peanut butter and a layer of this marshmallow fluff between two slices of bread. That was a fluffernutter. Now, I never had one because we never had fluff in the house. My mom wasn't crazy. Me, already hyperactive, filled up on sugar from fluff? No. Mom was not going to do that. Putting sugary, sweet jelly or jam on peanut butter, that was much better than putting the marshmallow spread between two slices of bread with peanut butter. But yeah, that's an example of anything between two pieces of bread. And those were my staples when I was growing up. Sandwiches. We always had a sandwich for lunch. The lunch that I would take to school, whether it was in the bag when I was older or back when I was using my lunchbox, lunch for school was a sandwich, one of those bags of chips, you know, the mini lunch bag bags that they sell in the stores, whether it was potato chips or Cheetos or Fritos. We had Fritos a lot. I just remember the little bags of Fritos, like all of the time. And then a dessert. If mom had made cookies, she'd put a couple of cookies in a sandwich bag, and that was lunch, and then we'd make sure we had a quarter for the little thing of milk that you always got. We were supposed to get milk. 
we weren't supposed to get the chocolate milk. We were supposed to get the regular milk. And they'd sell you those little half pint containers for like a quarter. We didn't have soda options. We didn't have juice options. It was milk. That was it. And I would have my sandwich, whatever it was. Peanut butter and jelly. Bologna. If we were getting really fancy, bologna and cheese. Liverwurst on occasion, which we've discussed. If ham was on sale, if turkey was on sale, if chicken was on sale, we'd have one of those as well. She would mix it up. Mom was really good that way. She'd mix up the lunches. You didn't get two days in a row of bologna. You might get bologna three times that week, but it would be Monday, Wednesday, Friday with peanut butter and jelly in between. She didn't torture us with too much liverwurst, but there was liverwurst in that mix. But those were the basic sandwiches that I grew up with. A couple of slices of cold cuts, maybe a slice of cheese, between two pieces of bread. I also discovered the submarine sandwich. Now, here's one of those sandwiches that everybody calls it something different. We called them subs, based on submarine sandwiches. Because if you look at the long roll, it looks like a submarine. That's why it's called a sub. But on my school menu, when they sold submarine sandwiches on Wednesdays in the cafeteria, they weren't called subs. They were called hoagies. When I was in college, I discovered that hoagies and subs were called grinders. But they're all, in my opinion, variations of a fancy kind of sandwich on a long roll. Now, I know opinions vary on this. Some folks say that a submarine sandwich, even though it's called a sandwich, a sub is not a sandwich, it's a sub. I mean, it's a lot of stuff between two long slices of bread. So in my book, it's a sandwich. Now, subs when I was a kid were a treat for us. That was a Sunday afternoon treat. On our way home from church... There was a sub shop called Long John's, and after church was over, it would let out about 11, 30, 12 o'clock. We would drive by Long John's, and we would pick up subs for Sunday lunch. We didn't have a fancy Sunday dinner, but we would occasionally get the fancy Sunday lunch. And going into Long John's sandwich shop was like a little bit of heaven. I don't know if you've been into a sandwich shop where they're making everything fresh, where the bread is baked on premises. Not like Subway, that's not the same thing. This was a legitimate old-school deli with a big bread oven in the back, a case full of cold cuts in the front, a menu of about 16 different sandwiches. Yeah, of course you had your ham, you had your turkey, you had your bologna, you had your salami, but you also had the exotic things. For me, a little kid, exotic things. Prosciutto. Oh, what's that? Capicola. Oh, that sounds interesting. I never tried them as a kid because I didn't know what they were, but they sounded cool, and the smell. The scent of all of these spiced meats and all of the oil and vinegar and the oregano and the basil that they would sprinkle on your sandwiches as they made them. Oh, was that a good smell. You'd bust open that door and the spicy odors would engulf your head as you walked in and you just go and you go, oh, this smells so good. And you wanted to eat everything, everything. You had the sliced onions that you'd add. You had the oil and vinegar that you'd add. You had the oregano, the basil, maybe some sage. All these spices were everywhere. And then the smell of baking bread from the back where they made their rolls. Oh, oh, just the memory of that brings back so many good feelings. And so we'd go into Long John's and order our subs. I would usually get something like ham and cheese with lettuce and tomato and oil and vinegar. A little of the seasoning sprinkled on some salt and pepper. And there was something about the way they applied the oil and vinegar to the sandwich. And see, I used the word sandwich there. They had the amount of oil and vinegar that they'd sprinkle on that sandwich just perfect. Because the bread they used was Italian bread. Those long, sub-shaped loaves of bread. And they'd cut a loaf in half, and you'd get a half of a loaf for your sandwich. And the outside crust was crispy. But the inside was so soft and chewy and 
just had a flavor like none that I'd ever experienced before. It was amazing. It just melted in your mouth. But the oil and vinegar that they sprinkled on there as they were making your sandwich was just enough to saturate the bread, but not so much that it made it a soggy sandwich because the crust was just crisp enough to hold its shape even for the half-hour drive from the sandwich shop to home. Because we never ate there. We bagged up everything and took it home. That was usually because Dad wasn't with us. You know dads, they don't go to church on Sundays. Sundays is the day of rest and football. So we would order a sandwich for Dad and bring that home too. So we had to bring the bag of sandwiches home and then we'd eat it at home. So your oil and vinegar on any other kind of bread, sitting on the bread for half an hour would have made it a soggy mess. But this bread, oh, this bread was so good. You'd have that oil and vinegar mixture with the spices and the meat and the cheese. I would always get onions. I loved the onions on it too. It was just something about the combination of all of that together. It tasted so good. So when I discovered deli sandwiches like that, oh man, that was a whole other level of sandwich enjoyment. It was so good. But that's one of the reasons that I consider a sub a sandwich. A sub is a sandwich. It's two long pieces of bread, but it's all the stuff you put on a sandwich anyway. Ham, cheese, lettuce, tomato. It's just a fancier sandwich than you make for yourself. It's like saying a club sandwich is not a sandwich because it's got three slices of bread. I mean, a sandwich is two slices of bread, but if you put three slices of bread together, you're going to have a slice of bread between two slices of bread, so that's part of the insides of the sandwich, so it works. A club sandwich, or as I said when I was a kid, a triple-decker sandwich, is still a sandwich. And by the way, people have different definitions of a club sandwich. Technically, a club sandwich is supposed to be a layer of ham on one level of the sandwich and a layer of turkey on another level of the sandwich. At least that's the club sandwich, the traditional club sandwich that I grew up with. But nowadays, anything that's a triple-decker sandwich is considered a club sandwich. It's still a sandwich. But then you start to get to the extreme end of the sandwich spectrum. We're not to hot dogs and hamburgers yet. We'll get to those. Because there's two categories of sandwich that I start to question whether they're actually sandwiches. One is the open-faced sandwich. When I was younger, you could go to a restaurant and you'd see them list as one of the possible meals you could get an open-faced roast beef sandwich. Now, an open-faced sandwich is one piece of bread. The open-faced roast beef sandwich that I'm talking about, they put a piece of bread on a plate, they put warm roast beef on it, they put brown gravy on top of that, and they call that an open-faced sandwich. Now, to me, a sandwich requires a minimum of two pieces of bread, whether it's Wonder Bread or Wheat Bread or an Italian roll cut in half. Whatever it is, it requires two pieces of bread. An open-faced sandwich, by definition, has one piece of bread. Also, a sandwich is something you're supposed to be able to pick up and eat. You get a sandwich, you put it on your plate, you lift it up with both hands, you bite into it. That's a sandwich. It's a handheld meal. An open-faced roast beef sandwich is hot roast beef with hot gravy on it on one piece of bread. How are you picking that up with your hands and eating it? I mean, technically you can, but it's disgusting and potentially dangerous if that's hot gravy. But you know what I'm saying. You can't pick up an open-faced sandwich. You eat it with a knife and fork. So is it really a sandwich? I submit that it's not. It's roast beef on bread. That's what it should be called. Roast beef on bread. If you're serving an open-faced sandwich, you're not serving a sandwich. You're serving roast beef on bread. Now, the other extreme for the sandwich family is those ginormous sandwiches you get at some of the delis, at least around here on the East Coast. Probably the most famous is Katz's Deli in New York, but any of the New York delis and a lot of the New Jersey delis, they make these sandwiches, which they charge you like $15 for. 
They make these sandwiches with four or five inches of meat stacked on a piece of bread with another piece of bread on top of it. Now, as I just said, a sandwich is something you're supposed to be able to pick up and eat. No human being can pick up a four-inch tall sandwich and actually eat it as a sandwich. So how can you count that as a sandwich? You have to take it apart in order to eat it. I mean, it looks like a sandwich. There's two pieces of bread there. But once you get four inches of meat in between the two pieces of bread, does it really constitute a sandwich anymore? It's not a handheld food that way. You can create a sandwich out of what they give you, that's for sure. But you can't eat what they give you as a sandwich the way God intended sandwiches to be eaten. Don't get me wrong. I like a good pastrami sandwich. Pastrami, sauerkraut, on two pieces of rye bread. Nice dill pickle. Oh, it's a great meal. But when I make a pastrami sandwich, four or five slices of pastrami, a little bit of sauerkraut, and that's it. And then I can pick it up and eat it. If you go to Katz's Deli, you have to take out three quarters of the guts of the sandwich in order to be able to eat it with two slices of bread. Or you have to cut it up with a knife and fork. In which case, we have graduated from sandwich territory. Now, you may have a different view, but if you can't pick it up and eat it with your hands, if you have to either deconstruct it or use utensils to eat it, it's no longer a sandwich. Now, I talked about hamburgers and hot dogs. This is where the controversy is. This is the hill that people will die on in the sandwich debate. Is a hamburger a sandwich? I mean, technically, you've got two pieces of bread, a hamburger bun. There's a top and a bottom. You have the filling, a hamburger. You put the hamburger on the bottom part of the bun. You put the bun on top. I mean, technically, it's a sandwich. I mean, if you want to make the distinction that you're using a bun instead of two pieces of bread, that's true. But you can also serve a hamburger on two pieces of bread. And in fact, my grandmother would. My mom's mom, I don't think, ever served me a hamburger on a bun. She just threw two pieces of bread out on the plate, put the hamburger on it, and said, here's your hamburger. I vividly remember my grandmother serving us hamburgers on white bread. That's how we got hamburgers up there. Whether she had an objection to hamburger rolls or just didn't want to bother going and getting them, we had hamburgers on white bread. So if you serve a hamburger on white bread, that's a sandwich, right? So is the difference between a sandwich and a hamburger the bun versus the bread? I submit to you it's a distinction without a difference. I think you have to consider a hamburger a sandwich. You don't have to call it a sandwich. But if you're applying the dictionary definition, technically, I think a hamburger is a sandwich. Now, hot dog buns are different. Hot dog buns are buns that you can slit open and never separate into two separate parts. And in fact, you rarely ever do when you're serving a hot dog. You open the bun, you make sure that the two pieces are still melded together, that little seam that you know you have on the hot dog bun. You never break that seam. If you're at a cookout and they have the hot dog bun and the seam is broken, you never use that one. Everybody always likes the seam so that the hot dog and all the filling stays in the bun. So right there we have a distinction between a hot dog and a sandwich that we don't have with a hamburger. Hamburger buns have the seam, but it really doesn't matter if you split the seam. You don't need the seam on the hamburger. The hot dog exists to fit into the hot dog bun. And the hot dog bun seam exists to keep the hot dog in place and all of the fillings. And yes, you can serve a hot dog on bread, but you never serve a hot dog on two pieces of bread. Just like my grandmother always served hamburgers on white bread, she would also serve hot dogs on white bread. But she only gave you one slice, because a hot dog fits on one slice of bread. We were supposed to roll it up around the hot dog, but it was one slice of bread per one hot dog. So right there, you're not using two slices of bread to serve a hot dog. You're using one slice. 
So applying the transitive property of math, sure, why not? One slice of bread equals one hot dog bun. One slice of bread we already know is not enough to make a sandwich. You need two. So I would submit to you that based on the design of the hot dog bun, the fact that you can serve a single hot dog on a single slice of bread, and because of the nature of the hot dog itself, hot dogs are not sandwiches. They're a class all by themselves. Now, I don't know what that class is. Is it a handheld food stuff? I don't know. It's a hot dog, and I'm going to leave it at that. Changing gears, I also promised you a recipe for baked ziti. Baked ziti is one of those meals that people will order out because it's something they don't do for themselves at home. I mean, if you're like me, when you have pasta and sauce at home, whatever the pasta, ziti, rigatoni, mustachielli, spaghetti, you cook your pasta in your hot water, you either make your sauce yourself or you grab a jar of ragu or mamaleones or whatever sauce you use. You heat the sauce up, you put your pasta and your sauce on your plate, pasta and sauce. There's something about baked ziti that requires an extra step that people don't think they can do, but it's really easy to do. And I'm going to remind you one of my little rules about cooking. Cooking is like jazz. There's a format, but you can make it up as you go along. And it's totally up to you what you put in your dishes. And that's true for baked ziti. I mean, if you look up recipes for baked ziti, you're going to find all kinds of little things you can add from eggs and ricotta cheese to fresh basil and onions. You can put anything in it. But baked ziti, super easy to make with very simple ingredients. You probably don't have to go to the supermarket to make a good baked ziti based on just the stuff you have in your house. I mean, if you don't have a box of ziti in your house, okay, you're going to have to go to the supermarket. And if you don't have a jar of sauce, you're going to have to go to the supermarket. Just in case you don't have these ingredients handy, I'm going to give you a basic recipe for the simplest possible way to make baked ziti. So what you need is this. First, and most obviously, a box of ziti. You can technically use any macaroni you want, but if you want ziti, get ziti. Get a jar of sauce, whether it's the ShopRite brand, whether it's ragu, whether it's prego, whether it's Mama Leone's, pick a jar of sauce. One jar of sauce is fine, any flavor. You probably have in your cupboard either basil or oregano or the seasoning that they call Italian seasoning. Now, Italian seasoning differs from manufacturer to manufacturer, they all put slightly different things in it, but it basically has basil or oregano or sage or thyme. Any combination of those ingredients is what constitutes Italian seasoning. Ideally, Italian seasoning is something you want to have in your cupboard anyway. If you do pasta and sauce, adding a little of this Italian seasoning to that will make it taste better anyway. But if you don't have Italian seasoning, a little basil, a little oregano. You want an egg. I'm sure you have it in your fridge. You need some grated Parmesan or shredded Parmesan. Now, it doesn't have to be a special container. You know the stuff you sprinkle on your spaghetti? If you have that plastic container of grated Parmesan in your fridge, that's all you need. If you have any other cheese in your house, ideally something like provolone or Munster, obviously mozzarella, if you have any of that, you can use that as well. But at the very minimum, you want a quarter of a cup of that grated Parmesan cheese. That's all you need. Extra cheese makes it cheesier, but at the very minimum, you want a quarter of a cup of the grated Parmesan. Now, here's what you're going to do. You're going to boil up your water. You're going to cook your ziti. Depending on what ziti you have, they have instructions on the box. Ignore those instructions. If you've got ziti, you want to cook it in boiling water for eight minutes. No more than that, because you're going to keep cooking this in the oven when you bake it. So you don't want it all soft and gushy from overcooking it in the hot water. You want an eight-minute ziti. That's it. It cooks your ziti, but keeps it firm enough so that it'll stand up in the oven, because you're going to be cooking it in the oven for another 30 minutes. That's the baking part. So cook your ziti for eight minutes, throw it in a colander, drain it in the sink. 
Now, in a big old bowl, you're going to take one egg. It adds richness. It adds texture. It adds flavor. You're going to beat that up until it's a really well-beaten egg. Take your quarter cup of grated Parmesan and put that in the beaten egg and mix it all together. Take a tablespoon of that Italian seasoning that you have or two teaspoons of basil and one teaspoon of oregano. Ideally, Italian seasoning works, but you can use the basil-oregano combination if you want. And by the way, these are minimums, minimum of a tablespoon. You can put in two if you really want it seasoned, but one tablespoon will be enough. Mix that in with the cheese and the egg so it's all mushy. That's really all you need to do as far as what you're going to put the pasta in. But if you have shredded mozzarella, if you have shredded provolone, heck, if you have shredded cheddar, you can put that in there as well. Put that in that egg cheese mixture you've already created. You're going to take quarter a cup, a half a cup. How much cheese do you want? I wouldn't put in more than a cup, but you could. You could put in a cup and you could put in more if you really, really like it cheesy. When you got all of that mixed together, take the pasta from the colander, pour it into this mixture you've created and mix it all together. You're not going to coat every piece of ziti. It's not going to happen. But you're going to get a little of it on every piece of ziti if you mix it properly. Use a wooden spoon. Use a spatula. Just make sure you get the pasta at least touching this cheese mixture because that's where the cheesiness comes from. Then after it's all mixed up, take your jar of sauce. Pour that over the top. Use the same wooden spoon or spatula, whatever you're using. Mix it all together. This time you want to make sure you cover everything with the sauce. And as you continue to mix... The cheese mixture is going to spread around and the sauce is going to be spread around. Now, you've got all this in a big bowl. What you need is a 13 by 9 pan. That's that big brownie pan, 13 inches long, 9 inches wide. Then take the bowl with all the pasta and sauce in it, pour that into the pan. You're going to spread it out evenly so that it fills the whole pan. You don't want to pile a pasta in the middle of the pan. You want it all level. And that's all you need to do. That's all you need to do. You're ready to bake. If you want to add a little cheesiness to it, if you have a couple of extra slices of cheese, or if you have some shredded mozzarella, you can sprinkle the mozzarella on the top. You can put a couple of slices of provolone across the top, a couple of slices of mozzarella across the top, whatever you have, you can. You don't have to. It depends on A, what you have, and B, how much cheese you like. So let's say you have three slices of provolone. Throw the three slices across the top. Put it right in the middle, because it'll melt as you're baking it. Then take a piece of aluminum foil, cover the pan. Turn your oven on, put it at 375. When it gets up to temperature, put your pan in and let it bake for 30 minutes. And that is how you make baked ziti. That's all you have to do. Very simple, very basic. And let me tell you, baking the ziti like that with the egg and the cheese all mixed together, combined with the sauce on top of the pasta, it adds a texture to it that you don't get just pouring sauce over cooked pasta. There's something about baking it this way that makes it taste just a little different, just a little fancier, just a little more filling. And honestly, it makes you feel like you've created something. Now, if you want to get adventurous, you can look up one of the recipes. You can take ricotta cheese, more basil, more mozzarella. You're going to make a cheese mixture kind of like what I just said, all different kinds of seasonings, and that'll make it even cheesier and creamier. But if you follow the recipe that I just gave you, you will have a different take on a pasta dish that you wouldn't ordinarily do yourself because you think it's too difficult. It's not. It's easy. Go for it. Let me know how it comes out. As I'm sure you've discovered, I do like talking about food. I like talking about it. I like making it. And I most definitely like eating it. 
One of the things that I thought about doing is a cooking stream. I just have to set the kitchen up so that I could do that because I really do enjoy cooking. And I just kind of made this baked ziti up myself because I didn't have the fancy ingredients to make a ricotta cheese baked ziti. But I know enough about cooking that I felt comfortable making things up as I went along. And as I've always said about cooking, the more you do it, the more you like it and the better you get at it, just like anything. So when I made this baked ziti a couple of weeks ago, it came out really well and everybody loved it. And so that's why I wanted to share it with you. I figured I'd give you another recipe today. I hadn't given you one in a while. So I hope you can put this baked ziti recipe to use. I hope the recipe works for you. And more importantly, I hope we all know now what constitutes a sandwich. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. You guys are the best and I can't thank you enough for your support and the time that you spend here. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves, and I'll see you when I see you.